time for the Newsmax Daily from Newsmax, America's fastest growing cable news channel. Now, now, here's your host, Rob Carson. And by the grace of God, it is finally Friday. Hello and welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, what a show we have. What a show we have today. James Golden, a.k.a. Most nerdly of the Rush Limbaugh program will join us on the show here very shortly. This is a very big deal to me because I wrote uh, some of Rush Limbaugh's biggest comedy and I voiced a good share of it over the years, starting with Capitol Hill Bank way back in the early 90s um, and, and through the years, uh, memorable pieces of comedy that you heard on his show, song parodies, commercial parodies. It was a, one of the greatest, uh, most proud moments of my broadcast career to be a part of that, even though it was a behind the scenes thing. But I'm going to talk to James Golden, and, and uh, he is going to share some things that I think you're going to be like, wow, wow. If you, if you loved the Rush Limbaugh program, we're going to get into that. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is a void, a huge void left by Rush Limbaugh's passing, no doubt. I do not even, I won't even try to consider filling that void because there will never be another Rush Limbaugh. That's just the way it is. But... I brought humor to his show since I was a kid in my 20s, uh, and I have always been what I, I've always considered myself to be an entertainer, and uh, an entertainment, entertainer with a, with a well-seasoned uh, and intelligent opinion, and that's what Rush did. I will never, <laughs> I certainly could never do what he did. I mean, he, he dined with Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, for crying out loud. Uh, he, he changed the face of the media. He, you would not be looking at your daily sites, or Fox News wouldn't be there, or Newsmax wouldn't be there, or, you know, uh, none of these, uh, these uh, conservative blogs that are gigantic, like Hot Air and The Blaze and Weasel Zippers and... Uh, uh, American Spectator, none of them would exist without Rush Limbaugh. So we're going to talk to uh, him. Also, oh, by the way, uh, President Trump was on with the uh, Rob Finnerty and Rick Grinnell this morning on Wake Up America. Had some fascinating things to say about the election, about uh, big social media and more. So here, let's just jump right into it. Uh, I was in one of your buildings in Manhattan uh, yesterday. We had a tragedy just south of Mar-a-Lago in the Ball Harbor area, Surfside, Florida. Uh, this 12-story building built 1981, so before those Hurricane Andrew uh, building codes were put into place in the early 90s. Uh, what do you make of this? Did, should, should the vice president, I hate to say this, but should she skip going to the border today and maybe travel to South Florida? Or is, it, is that something that, that wouldn't be appropriate right now? No, I think she should go to the border, and I think she should uh, go to the real part of the border, not a part of the border that seldom violated right and i think she should do it and then she could come back and do this look the border is causing death at a level that nobody's ever seen before you know you have people dying in the deserts and they have no water and they're coming in by the thousands and they're coming in sick and they're spreading disease to our country and just unbelievable how bad it is and then she should go the building is being well handled by ron DeSantis and the group and uh, there's not much they can do other than the first responders who have been so incredible, but right. nobody can get very close to the rest of the building. It's a very interesting thing because I built a lot of concrete frame, and I looked at the frame. That's a very light frame. I don't know if you guys recognize it. Did you see how thin those slabs are on the yeah. floor? Yeah. And how thin those columns are? And you look at it, and... Uh, our former great first lady said that uh, it looks like a very weak building. Well, it was a very weak building. But when you look at that thin floor plate yep. and you look at that, those, thin, those little columns, 
it was, uh, and it when it crumbled, it became almost dust. It did. There it was did. some bad work going on over yeah. there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely troubling. And we'll get to more of President Trump in just a second from this morning on Newsmax. Biden, Joe Biden, has told small businesses that the way they can get past this uh, three hundred dollar a week national increase in unemployment is to get employers to pay more. Now, you go ahead and do that, folks. You go ahead and do that, you small business owners. Come up with another $1,200 a month per employee, which is $12,000 a year. Uh, if you run a, you know, if you run a McDonald's franchise or you run a small store or whatever, this guy, honestly, so out of touch, so out of touch. Here's what he said yesterday. And this is honestly, this is callous. This is awful. Uh, and, and this is heartbreaking that this, this government bureaucrat who's using your money to juice the unemployment benefits of people, and it's keeping them from working. He, he's been using your money, and you've got to compete with a guy using your money as a weapon. I'm not being critical, y'all. I really mean this. It was legitimate questions you're asking me. Asking me, well, you know. Guess what? Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. What a jerk. I mean, honestly, what a jerk. Listen to this. Listen to this awful thing. This is awful, what he said to American businesses. Workers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. Honestly, that, that's one of the worst things I've heard him say, to be honest. I've got friends who are entrepreneurs. I've got relatives who are entrepreneurs. And for him to just say that, and when he has your money that he's doling out left and right, and he talks a little bit more about the $1.9 billion or trillion dollars, and it's your money. It's sickening, to be quite honest. Here he is. This is his yesterday. He went on a creepy whisper thing. And it's causing people to say even more that the man has completely lost his mind. Listen to this. I got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential. It's not your money, you creepy old man. I wrote the bill on the environment. I doubt you wrote the bill. I doubt you wrote the bill, sir. This is an employee's, employee's bargaining chip now. What's happening? I call him the horse hockey whisperer. Joe Biden is the horse hockey whisperer. Here's a, let's hear it again. I got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. What the heck is wrong with you, man? They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential. Yeah. I wrote the bill. Yeah, no, you didn't. On the environment. No, you didn't. Pay them more. I see dead people. This is an employee's. I see Kamala Harris becoming the president. Employee's bargaining chip now. What's happening? Your hair smells great. I'm Uncle Joe. Oh, here he is talking about, uh, 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 there's this, this phrase that some have come up with for people who are Latino and they're calling them Latin, Latinx. And, and the 3% of Latinx people think that's fine. The rest of them think it's really stupid because they like being called Latino. They have no problem with Latino. Uh, and so here he is yesterday talking about Latinx. Latinx, or, he, well, he mispronounced. He called it Latinx because he's reading and he has no clue. <laughs> I'll just put it down. He just has no clue. 
Uh, what he's talking about. And then, of course, why uh, why Latinx and black people are not getting vaccinated. And this is like is so ungodly racist, it's not even funny. For people, there's a reason why it's been harder to get African-Americans initially to get vaccinated. Why is that, Uncle Joe? I'm, I'm sorry. Why is that, Uncle Joe? There used to be an experiment on they're used to being experimented on. Okay. Tuskegee Airmen. And oh boy, oh boy. People have memories. Yes. Well you don't. You you don't. There's a yours is shot. People have long memories. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's awful hard as well to get Latinx vaccinated. It's, it's not Latinx, it's Latinx. And Latinx people really hate it. As well. Why? They're worried that they'll be vaccinated and deported. Vaccinated and deported. Okay, sure, buddy. So look, from day one... You are mentally deranged. Something that Governor <laughs> Cooper has been totally focused on... Yes, yes. ...is making sure we get as many people vaccinated, particularly people who don't have access to health care usually, who don't have... What a train wreck, honestly. What a, what a train wreck. Dear Lord in heaven. Let's talk with a president who actually has his head together. This is uh, Wake Up America this morning. Um, you had uh, uh, Rob Finnerty and Rick Grinnell talking to Donald Trump about critical race theory, first of all. Today is day 155 of Joe Biden in office. I don't remember critical race theory prior to January 20th, but my goodness how quickly things have changed. The Biden administration is forcing this, this woke indoctrination into our military. I know you have an announcement about that coming soon. Also, into our schools. You've got a young son, Barron. Um, if they have their way, this is going to be in every single school in America. Mm -hmm. It's a disgrace, and you didn't have, have it or hear it but it existed during us, and I ended it. I would terminate it everywhere it popped up its ugly head. We would terminate it, and we terminated it very strongly. Dear God in heaven, I hope this man can make it back into office sooner, better than later. I mean, we really went after it, and it ended. And as soon as they came in, they're back to putting it up. And uh, General Milley, and I watched his statement. It was pathetic. I watched uh, the statements of some others, your head of the Navy, it was pathetic. And they didn't talk that way when I was around, I can tell you. Yeah, they, yeah, they didn't, because he meant business. Here he is talking about uh, big tech and Zuckerberg helping to steal the election. Well, watch next week, because you'll see me do something about big tech, and people have wanted me... And to, he did. ...to do it a long time. And uh, it won't be too surprising. They don't love me to talk about it early. But watch what I do next week on big tech. I think oh. you'll find it to be very interesting. Mr. It. President, it's, it's Rob Finnerty. Do you, would you support, say, for example, Facebook being forced to sell off Instagram or Google yes. being forced to sell Bust off up. Uh, YouTube? Would you support something like that? Well, the problem is they don't get hurt. I've watched all of my life. I've watched these uh, uh, people come in and they have to break up the company. So now they start selling the companies and they make a fortune. Right. A lot of times they make much more money than they would have made without it. And then they just go a different way. No, but something harsh has to take place when they, when they can censor conservative voices. Look at me. I had hundreds of millions of followers. Okay. Number one on Facebook. Yeah. Zuckerman, Zuckerberg told me I was number one on Facebook. Number one at dinner. You know, he'd have dinner with me at the White House. He couldn't have been nicer. Uh, he would uh, do everything he could to be nice to me, and that's fine. 
That's fine. I not loyal, not about for him. But you know what he did with lockboxes? Should be illegal. I mean, I probably think it is. He put lockboxes, spent $500 million on lockboxes, yep. and then they'd come in, oftentimes very late, they'd say, where's the lockbox? Huh. Where is it? And you'd have 97% of the vote for Biden yep. and 3% of the vote for Trump. I'm surprised they gave us three. That was, again, the most correct. It did. It happened, guys, particularly in Pennsylvania. There's no denying. There's evidence of it. And the mainstream media will eventually have to uh, have to admit it. Admit it. Here he is talking about Pfizer and favored nations and the vaccine. The coronavirus, obviously, is still a big issue today. Uh, do you think that the media, and, and you know the media I'm talking about, and big tech, do you think that they colluded deliberately to hide information from the American people to have an impact on the election? Oh, absolutely. Look, Pfizer is a very, very, I, I don't want to use the word owns, but, you know, essentially they, uh, they are very close to the FDA. Uh, they couldn't stand me because I forced drug prices down. I did favored nations, yep, and if right. Biden keeps it, we'll have the lowest drug prices anywhere in the world. Nobody could believe I did favored nations. Favored nations means for the audience that take the nation that has the lowest drug price of a certain drug sold by a company. We had to match, meaning yep. we matched them. So who's ever in the world paying the lowest price, that's the price we get. Nobody could believe I did that. They dislike Trump. So that was number one. Yep. And the FDA, no, they never got pushed like they did with me. They used to sit around for 12 years coming up with a vaccine. And vaccines take, on average, three to five years. Yep. And they came in and they told me what their schedule was. I said, you got to be kidding. We have people, millions of people dying. And I pushed him, as you know, Rick, because you were there. You were there with some of the screaming. But we got, uh, we got that done in less than nine months, which is a record. And we did something else. We bought $12 billion worth of vaccine before we really knew it worked. But we thought, I thought it was going to. But, you know, based on knowledge. And if we didn't do that, you wouldn't have been getting shots until October, November of That's this right. year. Yeah, here is uh, Rick Grinnell uh, running through a list of things that Trump was right about and the media got wrong. But it wasn't about them getting wrong. It was about knowing that he was right and lying about it. I want to read a list of, uh, of issues where you were right and the media was totally wrong. And then I want you to respond. Hy hydroxychloroquine works. Yep. The COVID-19 uh, COVID probably came from a Chinese lab. Ding. Hunter Biden's laptop was real. Ding. Lafayette Square was not cleared for a photo op. Ding. The Russian bounty story was fake. Ding. We did produce vaccines before the end of 2020 in record time. Ding, ding. Blue state lockdowns didn't work. Ding. Schools should have been opened earlier. Ding. Critical race theory is a disaster Double for ding. our schools and our country. Double ding. And the wall worked. What do you have to say to the media who completely got all of these stories wrong and the echo chamber in Washington just kept pounding on erroneous misinformation? Well, look, you know, I like to be non-controversial, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> the media in this country, most of it, we have some great people, too, but most of it is corrupt. It's corrupt. It's not free. Uh, they say and they coordinate with each other uh, in order to uh, help Biden, which is not easy to help. Uh, they coordinate like crazy. Look, he got away with that thing with the basement where they, he wouldn't talk and he wouldn't yeah. come out <laughs> yeah. for weeks and weeks on end. And he got away with that. Can you imagine if I did that? I'm going to stay in the basement for the next 
Six months. He wouldn't be and, able to stay in the basement. Uh, That's no. not even an option. No, he wouldn't be able to. One more before we go to James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Uh, Trump on firing Fauci. Uh, I- I'm wondering if you think now, as we learn more and more about his credibility, and, and you worked intimately with him, or he worked under you intimately, uh, especially in the early days of the virus, do you think that he's been dishonest with the American people, maybe even deliberately? Well, I think Anthony, who I actually is, I, you know, hate to say this, you might know that, you know, I got along with him. He said, sir, just call me Tony. Just call me Tony. Right. He was a very good promoter. I don't think he was a very good doctor, but he was a very good promoter. <laughs> don't forget, you were in the office, Rick, when we were having the big argument about should we close to China. And that was in January. That was really early. And I was the only one that wanted to do it. And he was right. I think you were there, too. But Listen, I'm not sure I, I want to make one point clear on that. The intelligence community told you that uh, it wasn't necessary. And you overruled right. them. That is a fact. I don't care what the media says about right. that. That is yeah. a fact. You overruled and moved quickly to to close because you had a gut instinct about it. He was right. And read the intelligence towards that uh, end. So I just want to make that point clear for all those revisionist uh, media types. Mr. President, Thank are you, you surprised that Dr. Fauci is still is still employed, that he still has the same job when you were the president? <laughs> Well, they keep him because they think anybody that's against me, I don't actually think he's against me. I think he's just, you know, he's very confused. Look, he's come along with so many policies. Uh, Rick just said one. He said, no, no, leave it open, leave it open, leave it open. And then three months later, he said, I saved thousands of lives. He did say that, uh, that I saved tens of thousands of lives by making that decision. And we also, Rick, closed it to Europe because I saw what was going on in Europe. And we saved tens of thousands of lives. Those two decisions were very big, but especially the China one, because that was so early. Nobody, nobody would have even, I think very few people would have done that. But that was a good decision. That was a very good decision. He was called a racist, um, anti-Asian by Joe Biden. He, um, he's been there for, what, 40-some-odd years. Right. Uh, he is... So is Joe Biden. Almost like a staple. And I think, frankly, uh, it was fine. It's Don't time forget, to go. I didn't listen to him too much. You know, had I listened to him, it would have been not so good. Okay. So here is the uh, moment, and I know that uh, James Golden has a good uh, amount of time blocked out of his schedule to talk to me this morning, as um, we had worked together. I, I don't really know uh, James. I met him. I met Rush, um, but uh, Bo Snurdly, uh, he has some time blocked out. So we're going to get in depth on the Rush Limbaugh program. Let's get him on the line here, shall we? This is James. James Golden, Rob Carson, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Rob. How are you doing? I am really, really uh, good, James. I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you for a long time, and I thank you for your time today. It's just awesome to have you on, and I've been enjoying the podcast, by the way. And I I understand you're doing some radio on uh, WABC in New York, so congratulations on the new projects. Well, thank you very much. I'm having a blast on WABC. It's my home station. Yeah. So I'm welcome I'm 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 welcoming myself back home to New York. Yeah. And I'm having an absolute blast. Well, I'm glad for you, uh, James. I know this has had to be uh just a, an unbelievable year for you the last two years, actually. And and I'll just say my condolences. Um you know, I know you, you worked with Rush for uh, what how thirty how many years did you work for him altogether? 
All in all, I was with Rush for about 30 years, almost wow. 30 of the 31 of the 33 years, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I um, I started sending him material in 1989. I was 22 years old, right out of college. And I heard about this guy named Rush Limbaugh. I want to ask you, James, how? tell me about that initial meeting and how did you guys end up working together? Well, I was at WABC mm-hmm. um, and I was, Prior to me being um, a talk producer, I was the music director of WABC. So when we switched from over from the music format to the talk format, I walked out of one studio doing um, uh, music and walked into the <laughs> next studio and was doing um, talk radio. Yeah, and that's how that's how I got started. And later on, when Rush came, I actually met Rush uh, his first day in New York. When he was with Ed McLaughlin coming into the building, I was on my way out. Little did I know that our destinies would be linked from there. It didn't take too long. I don't know the exact time frame before I was rotated on his show as the call screener. Um, and the rest was history. We clicked, and <laughs> that was that. When did you realize that this was going to be uh, as epic as it became? Because obviously you see this big kind of uh, uh, outwardly bombastic. I heard he was the opposite in person. But he comes in, and he's doing this new kind of radio. He's doing some outrageous stuff on the radio, but in the genre of talk. What did you think initially? This guy walks in the door and grabs the mic and starts doing some of the nutty things. I remember when he put a condom on the microphone. I'll never forget that. I was in Columbia, Missouri. I'll never forget when he put a condom on the microphone because he was talking about using protection to prevent HIV. What did you think about all that at the beginning? Well, everybody that heard, it wasn't just me. Everybody that heard Rush, especially in, in those early days, knew that he was he was a different cut. He was something entirely different than anything we had heard before. And that's one of the reasons why, uh, I mean, we, we got an early peak, those of us that were there um, and saw what was going on in his first days, we got an early peak of what the, the phenomena would be. Everybody knew, wow, this guy is different. This guy has, he had an, an on-air charisma that was unlike anything any other host was doing. And that's not to belittle or demean any other host. Well, there were a lot of great radio hosts in our in our industry but rush was different he was unique he had a, a an interest he had a very unique way of doing everything yeah and that was and and it was captivating when you heard him the first time you wanted to hear him again and that's one of the reasons his show grew like and, and, and spread like wildfire. Yeah, James. But I remember. I mean, things that we had never seen before. Uh, we had rush rooms in restaurants. I remember this at, at, at restaurants around the country. Rush rooms. You had the Rush to Excellence tour. You had Dan's Bake Seal, which was just an, a phenomenal event. All of this rush came along at the right time, the right place, right skill set, right life experience, uh, and that will never be repeated. <laughs> just it will never be repeated. I don't see how it's possible. Your thoughts. You summed it up, and that's exactly right. At the time, there was no voice for American conservatives. He became that voice. And lo and behold, that was a significant portion of the American population. But there were other things that Rush did. I mean, Rush was one of the first to actually start down the trail of interactive communications on a live platform. He used to read his emails, give his email address, take things from the emails live during the show, 
and, and incorporate them in the show. Well, I mean, look at what goes on today. Now we have all kinds of tools that are interactive, but on the radio, he was first. If there were no rush, there wouldn't be a Fox News. There wouldn't be. Um, and yeah. now there's not just Fox News. Fox has several competitors. They're fledgling at this point, yeah. but they are competitors, and even more people are getting in the game. Yeah. Look at what he did with publishing. Yeah. His books were wildly successful. They opened up a floodgate of conservative um, uh, print media, not just the books. Look at the conservative print media. Yes. There was National Review. Now we have a plethora of oh, conservative yeah. publications. Oh, yeah. You can, you can, and honestly, there will never be the, the, something created like this, uh, a worldwide phenomena uh, like Rush Limbaugh. And, and I was very fortunate because I, I got to know Kit Carson and I got to know Johnny Donovan real well. And, and Kit was always the gatekeeper. And I'd send him stuff and he'd go, no, Rob, no, nah, not so much. Or, yeah, let's take it, you know. And it was, it was a big deal. It was, it was a thrill to me. Uh, I know that you, I didn't work with you necessarily and certainly not Rush. I did have a chance to meet you guys in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago. Uh, and it was a thrill of my life. It was a, it was a thrill of my life. I want to mention, and, and I would like to hear your thoughts on the biggest, most memorable moments of the show. And I'll just, I just want to share one that maybe most people don't remember, but I remember when Rush read Ronald Reagan's letter announcing that he had Alzheimer's on the air. And that was a deeply profound and moving moment. And that Ronald Reagan would give it to Rush was absolutely incredible. Um, how did that strike you when you, when that event happened? You know, you just reminded me of it. I had forgotten because there's so many things that happened yeah. on the program. Yeah. And so when you say, okay, one, it's hard for me to go with one. I mean, I've, you know, we've had so many moments on the program. Yeah. Some of the things that stand out for me are less maybe uh, dramatic. They involve Things like his explanation of baseline budgeting. Now, yeah. that's green eye shade stuff. <laughs> but I had never heard anybody yeah. explain to the American people exactly how their money was being spent and why the cost kept going up every year automatically. Yeah. And he took this incredibly complex issue of congressional budgeting made it understandable, yes. blew, it didn't just blow my mind, it blew the mind of, of, of most listeners, because they never had anyone explain to them in terms that they could understand of what was really going on in Washington, D.C. But there were so many of those moments. He, he did a monologue about America losing its soul. Yeah. And this was so far ahead of what we see now when all of us are concerned about the the morality of the country. And I'm, I don't mean it in that, in that kind of Puritan sense. What I mean is a basic, common, right and wrong texture that used to flow through the country. And now it seems that that's lost. Well, let's yeah. talk about that almost two decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are all kinds of moments that come come to mind. Of course, the big ones, like you said, Dan's bake sale. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, so there were just so many. Well, and also, um, I want to ask you this, because I remember my friends were calling me. What's going on? When Rush, uh, before he announced that he had gone deaf, he attempted to do the show, and people were wondering what was going on. 
that had to be one of the, a, a man who is a, a genius, a man who is a worldwide phenom in the oral media, losing the ability to hear. How, tell me about how that evolved and trying to do the show deaf and then ultimately getting the cochlear implants. Well, now part of the time that Rush was going through this, I was away. I stepped away from on the show for a year oh, okay. full-time. I was still working with them. I was in Seattle uh, learning streaming media and learning what this new thing was. Yeah. But I stayed in touch. And I remember I called Rush during this period because people were noticing. And I asked him, Rush, what's going on? Is everything all right? And what he told me was, listen, if I tell you everything that's going on right now, you wouldn't believe it, but it's not good. Wow. So wow. within a few months of that, I talked with John Axton, who was the um, the president of VSM Media at that point, and I talked with, and I found out from what was going on, and I got the next plane down to Florida, and I saw Rush that night and John that night, and so we were there. That was when, at a point when he was almost completely deaf. Within a few weeks, he was completely deaf. Wow. And him doing the show completely deaf before the implant was something that I will never forget. People were asking because me if he, Go ahead, sir. The engineer, we had two people there that were so instrumental in making it happen. Dawn Ramos, Duchinsky, yeah. and Brian Johnson. Dawn is the stenographer who, in real time, kept a running list of what was being said by wow. callers and whatever else, so Rush could still be real-time engaged. Brian hooked up this amazing color coding system to, to keep Rush on track in, in terms of where, you know, breaks were falling, cues were falling, and all the rest of it. Wow. And then it wasn't too long after that that he went for the cochlear implant surgery, and thank goodness it was successful. Yeah. And over the years since then, you know, he recorded... In his syndication show, get this, he was deaf more of those years than he had his hearing. Unbelievable. And the show continued to grow each year up until (laughs) Russia's death. One of the things that I remember him doing a monologue on, and I heard him do it several times, was about experiencing complete deafness. And he could just turn off the cochlear implants at night and experience absolute silence which most of us will never experience and when he put that in perspective i just it's one of those things it's like the reagan letter that i will never forget and these are small moments but they just touched people in so many ways that and that he did it it was so brave uh bo to to continue his career most people would say i can't hear how am i going to do a radio show but he did it ah just amazing well, let me ask you about his, his cancer diagnosis. And I got to tell you another thing. I, I agonized the last year, um, you know, from afar, knowing what was going on. Um, and and to me, it was so profound that he would, instead of traveling the world or he instood, in, instead of something else, he continued to just go into that box and then go suffer these unbelievable treatments that were devastating to him. And then ultimately, just a short time before he passed, he, he talked right up to the very end. Tell me about the last year and a half, two years. Well, it's, it's sad, and it's incredibly inspirational at the same time. And you're absolutely right. It's one of the things that I talked about on the, on the podcast yep. that I'm doing about Rush's life, yep. is that 
Rush had a bucket list. Just as you described, people, when they get a news of a terminal illness, they have a bucket list. They have things they want to do before they die. Rush's bucket list was his audience. Wow. He wanted to spend every single second with his audience that he could. I will tell you that some days in there, after Rush got through doing the show, and during the show, you wouldn't know that anything was wrong with him. No. He gave that amazing energy. His his clarity of thought was all was always present. His um, his superb analysis skills were always present. Yeah. But after the show, there were days when he could barely move. Wow. He couldn't. He could barely get up. He was in tremendous pain. And watching this person that we all love so very much. I mean, Rush. Look, I, I get. The blessing, I guess, of being the guy that, that people say, okay, come on and talk about Rush. But we have a staff of, of mostly 24, 25 people in the immediate staff. Yeah. And every single one of our staff members feels as strongly and passionately about the love that we have for Rush as I do. Yeah. All of them. And so all of us on the staff were terribly affected during this year, knowing that Rush was suffering knowing that that um, I was hopeful that up until the last minute, that up until the moment that Catherine announced Rush's death, I was hopeful that he would recover from it. Yeah. Um, but it was just one of the, it, it was a year that will always remain tragic, sorrowful, painful, but at the same time inspirational because of the courage and the love that Rush displayed for this vast audience, yeah. and people have a connection with him that I've never seen with any other <laughs> media figure, period. Yeah. None. The people that are still sending pictures and still talking about how Rush was and is a part of their life and their thinking, and they're grieving with us oh, yes. all these months later give a testament to how unique this man was, and he truly was. Let me ask, did he know the the last show that he did? Did he know that that was going to be his last show? No, he did not. Okay, okay. Well, um, I got to tell you something, Bo, and I listened uh, since, uh, you know, I was 23 years old. And every day I heard my city was gone. I heard that thing, and I knew Rush Limbaugh was going to crack the mic. And and I worked in music radio forever, so I played every dang song in the world. I've heard I, uh, uh, that's what I like about you by the Romantics more time than I ever need to hear again. But I never got tired of hearing that ramp from my city was gone because I knew that Rush Limbaugh was going to take the mic. How did the pretenders react? Because I know originally I think they had a problem with it. Chrissy Hines' father is a fan of Rush. Oh, good. And yeah, and so let me tell you, whatever whatever discussions, I think the discussions of negativity came, if I'm not mistaken, from the publishers, not from her, okay, and not from the band. Gotcha. And so, I, from what I understand, the interaction with the artist has been very positive over the years. Very good. Well, I'll never get tired of it. And I got to tell you also, uh, James, you know, usually you you burn out on things, you know. Uh, I never got tired of hearing Rush Limbaugh's voice. Nobody and the audience just kept growing and growing. That was the amazing thing that's, that, that nobody has a career like that. Johnny Carson didn't have a career that long. But he, right. every day, it was like opening a Christmas package. It wasn't getting marching orders. You weren't getting your marching orders, and you weren't getting, you just wanted Rush's take. I wanted his take. I didn't take his take and use it, 
But I, I learned from him, and I wasn't. It wasn't any kind of yes, sir. I'm going to do what Rush said. It was just I couldn't wait to hear. Like after 9/11, I mean, I remember the day, and after 9/11, I remember what he said. So it just you just wanted to hear what he had to say about everything, whether that be in celebration or whether that in mourning. If we lost an election and we we're like, where do we go now? It was so good to hear him because he always gave us hope. You know. Absolutely. And that was, you know, there was a caller that expressed that right in in the weeks before um, Rush died. There was a particular caller that will always stand out in my mind. He tried to explain to Rush what it is that captivated him and kept bringing him back to the show. And finally, this grown man broke down on the air and started crying. And he said, the truth of the matter is, I just want to hear your voice. Wow. Wow. Uh, he uh, he will be missed for a very long time. And, and uh, uh, Bo, as, as so many you know, try to uh, do continue and talk radio, uh, I think all of us realize that no one will be able to fill his shoes. And uh, there's no attempt to, to even try. Uh, no one will ever be able to do what he did. All we can do is revel in the memory and listen to his show, listen to your podcast, because uh, there will be other shows on, but there will never be another Rush Limbaugh. There never will. There will never be another Rush. And and you know what? And, and see, the joy of it is, though, this is an opportunity for a lot of people. Just because there's not going to be another Rush Limbaugh doesn't mean there's not going to be another somebody else mm-hmm. who can captivate large audiences and whose skill set is exactly what people need to hear right now. Yeah. It's not going to be another rush, no. but there's plenty of room out there for truly creative individuals to step up to the plate and have a wonderful relationship with this incredibly vast conservative audience across America. Well, I'm uh, I'm doing this podcast with Newsmax. It's been on for 13 weeks. We're getting about 100,000 downloads a day. And what I try to do is bring what I did, you know, to Rush's show. I bring satire. Rush exemplified it. Rush was what I would call a, a total entertainer. Uh, everybody's got an opinion. Opinions are easy. But to connect and to entertain are the things you need to do to set yourself apart from the crowd. So uh, tell me real quick, tell the audience about the podcast and where they can hear you, because I think it's absolutely fascinating. I never get tired of hearing it. Twelve podcast series, iHeart and Premier Radio asked me to do it, and I was so happy that they did. Yep. And the series is called Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. <laughs> Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. Wherever you download your podcast, yep. you can get it. You can get it on the iHeart app. If you want to go to the Apple Store, you can get it. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. And it has um, it has been a delight. We're still recording. The last two or three episodes are still being worked on. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode. Love I it. think right now we're, we've released episode eight or yeah. seven or eight. Yeah. So it's nearing its conclusion, but it has been a delight to work on. I love it. I love it. Well, it has been a delight to finally talk to you. This means a lot to me, James. Uh, you, you are you're amazing. I love listening to you. I love to listen to you when you would do the the black translation on the show. It was fantastic bit. I, it was a fantastic bit, and uh, and just hearing your name. Oh, one more thing. Where did Bo Snurdly come from? 
there were other celebrities before me, but no one remembers them. Oh. And so my first day on the show, Rush asked who, what celebrity I wanted to be. Oh. Had no clue. <laughs> Looked on his desk. There was the Daily News turned back sports page, and Bo Jackson had done something oh. that earned him a headline. <laughs> and in that simple moment, it became Bo Snurdly. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That is absolutely fantastic. All right, James. Thank you very much for talking to me, my friend. Have a glorious day. God bless you, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Rob, and continue success to you. Thank you, bud. God bless you, Rob. You too, bud. There you go, Bo Snurdly. Also uh, known as, well, James Golden. I want to play something that um, you may or may not hear again. And uh, <clears throat> I wrote this. And uh, a friend of mine named Rusty Humphreys put it together. And it's just a joyous celebration of the Rush Limbaugh program. This as it was rising around 1994. So enjoy this and we'll get back to the Newsmax Daily. Still gives me goosebumps. <laughs> wow. God rest you, my friend. God bless you, my friend. It was an honor to have worked for you, and uh, you will never be forgotten, and you've inspired a generation. Amazing. Rudy Giuliani's been suspended for practicing law by New York State because of a corrupt court. An appellate division, the New York Supreme Court's appellate division, held that there is uncontroverted evidence that Giuliani communicated denotably false and misleading statements to courts, lawmakers, and the public at large in claiming that President Biden's election was fraudulent. That hasn't been proven. There is evidence being investigated in the recounts. This is unconstitutional. This is a witch hunt. We conclude that respondent's conduct immediately threatens the public interest and warrants interim suspension from the practice of law. Citing comments Julie made about election at a press conference, state legislative hearings, radio broadcasts, podcast television appearances, and one court appearance. This is a violation of the First Amendment rights of Rudy Giuliani. Here is Rudy Giuliani talking with Greg Kelly about this affront to his ability to make a living. Well, I'm not very happy about this. I love practicing law. It's my passion. I've done it for 50 years. I've done it for 50 years without, I think, a single complaint ever. I've been involved in some of the most bitter litigation imaginable, never had charges like this. And I've had my life threatened any number of times wow. for the cases that I brought that I think really helped my country. And I uh, don't appreciate these 
I mean, it's I, I don't know exactly what I can say and what I can't say. All I can tell you is America is not America any longer. Amen. Uh, we do not live in a free state. We live in a state that's controlled by the Democrat Party, by Cuomo, de Blasio, and the Democrats. Um, we have a double standard. There's no doubt if I was representing Hillary Clinton, I'd be their hero. Yep. Here's a little bit more on the witch hunt and who's behind it in New York State. And she's running for office in a way that should have gotten her disbarred. She's running for office to get one. What is he? She's Javert? the candidate for New York AG. She's running for office to get one man. And they don't have it. She never said he committed a crime. What crime are they investigating? They're looking for a crime. Do you know how un-American that is? We, we investigate allegations of crimes. We don't go search a man's life to invent or find that's Stalinistic crimes. That's what they're doing to him, and that's what the Southern District is doing to me. Yeah, it's a, it's an investigation in search of a crime, yeah. completely un-American. Greg Kelly had some great things to say last night. Great guests, and uh, kudos to him. He was a, a Marine who served very honorably, and he had a lot to say about General Mark Milley who is all about CRT and white rage and is a despicable blob who should be booted from the military. He is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the number one uniformed American military member, General Mark Milley. And this is where his priorities are. It is important that we train and we understand, uh, and I, I wanna understand white rage, and I'm white, and I wanna understand it. So. What is it that caused... There's no such thing as white rage, you big fat idiot. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't use the word idiot. You big fat mentally challenged person. Thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. Whew. As the Beltway loves to say, a lot to unpack there. Number one, January 6th, we don't need a commission. He just established, he just said, it was white rage. White rage caused January 6th, huh? And he wants to know about white rage. And he's white. Wow, talk about a virtue signal. You know who doesn't want to know about it? The troops, his troops, the airmen, the Marines, the soldiers. All they're hearing about these days is race. Why? Because General Mark Milley has gone along with it. Because Lloyd Austin has gone along with it. Because Joe Biden is being told by his leftist captors that this is it. Everything is about race. They are destroying the American military with this. Anybody can see that. And don't be surprised, General Milley, that you're getting pushback big time because this is America's military, not yours. Amen. Here's some more from Greg Kelly, former Marine. And I love Greg's passion on this. You can tell this hits him uh, right in the gut. Now, a little bit on uh, General Milley. I had a feeling he was a politician, much more than a soldier. Do you remember when he walked across the street wow. with Donald Trump after that riot? There he is, the dumpy guy, dumpy-looking guy in the camouflaged utilities. He walks across the street with the President of the United States, the swamp, Freaks out about that for some reason. They tell Millie, they make it clear, you work for us, not for him. So the top uniformed officer is with the commander-in-chief, and he apologizes for it. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last Weasel. week. That sparked a national debate about no, the role of the military in civil society. No, it didn't. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. No, it didn't. Uh, it really didn't cause much of a national debate. Uh, he got a couple of phone calls from Democrat senators, probably, and uh, 
he caved. Uh, he betrayed his president. He did. Here he is, uh, Greg Kelly, talking to Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner says, I'm not, uh, I'm not a trans activist. I'm just a candidate for governor. Um, if anyone wants to turn the page on transgender issues, mm-hmm. um, are you prepared to do that? Uh, this is not going to be something you're talking about or pursuing as governor, whether right. it's awareness I'm, or... I'm not a trans activist candidate. I am a citizen for the last 48 years of the state of California. Um, yes, this is almost like, remember 2016, the bathroom issue? Yeah. Yeah, uh, in North Carolina. Um, it seemed this, important at the time. Oh, so important, <laughs> yes. Uh, and now we have, yes, uh, trans issues that are out there, especially in sports. Uh, I have made a statement. Um, I, I am for protecting girls' sports, especially in high school. Uh, that's extremely important to me, and I stick with that. If they need more information, to be honest with you, Go to my website. I kind of explain everything right there, CaitlynJenner.com. And it, plus, if you want to follow the, what we're doing, it's all through CaitlynJenner.com. Um, but uh, to be honest with you, in California, we have such bigger issues than this. I'm standing on my back porch, and I'm watching flames come at my house two, three hundred feet in the air. Why? Because a transformer 17 miles away blew up. And about six hours later, that was at my house. Wow. Um, we need to upgrade. We uh, upgrade the electrical system in the state of California. Where there's so many things that need to be done. These are major issues that people die over. And, I mean, uh, transition is a small issue. I'll deal with that when we get in there. All right. Very good. Um, I got to get to a couple of things because I think they're very important. Uh, Rob Schmidt talking to uh, uh, Ken Cuccinelli about Kamala Harris's visit to the border. Here's a first segment when uh, Rob Schmidt uh, shares her clueless husband talking about why she's going. And it's not because Donald Trump is going. Oh, yeah, it is. As you've witnessed, Republicans have made a big thing out of this. Former President Trump today said the reason she's going this week is because he's going next week. What do you make of that? It's true. Kamala Harris is not driven by any political issues or political pressure. She's really just doing what the right thing is to do for this very important job that the president entrusted her with. Oh, yeah. She's not done the job. Imagine being this fake. (laughs) Who believes that? Kamala's hubby there, Doug Emhoff, trying to convince Americans that his wife's visit to the border tomorrow was not inspired by Trump. Unbelievable. Here is Rob Schmidt talking to Ken Cuccinelli about uh, the visit, which is nowhere near the hot spots on the border. Madam Harris wants to really avoid the areas that are really, really bad in this visit. Well, yes, but that's only relatively true. Where she's going is really bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's real, and by historical standards, the, the chief of that sector says it's worse than it's ever been. Okay. So it's still really bad there. But you are right. The worst sector right now is the Rio Grande Valley, the RGV to the southeast, which for your viewers is the first sector off of the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Um, and it's the shortest distance to Central America and so forth. And they're being overrun the worst there. But where she's going is bad, too. If she talks to local law enforcement, if she talks to local landowners, um, to the school systems, to those running the health care systems there, she's going to find an overwhelmed community that's being overrun by the invasion that this administration has not only sparked, but downright invited. All right, a little bit more from Ken Cuccinelli with regard to the uh, faux visit at the border. (laughs) Well, and she's also going 
on a Friday, which is you and I both know yep. is the day you bury news. Yeah, of course. Um, and um, and it's a Friday rolling into a vacation period with July 4th. So it's about as dead a news day as she could find while still checking the box. Exactly. Now, I remember when Mayorkas went down to the border the one time, the first time he went down, he flew down. Uh, went to the airfield hangar where he landed, held a press conference, and got in his plane been back to Washington. So as you said in the intro, we'll see what this visit looks like tomorrow. Is it a check the box or is it really to get a feel for how the Border Patrol agents are being uh, abused and overrun and the community and the elements of the community, law enforcement, health care, all of them overwhelmed. And, and it isn't just people like you and me calling for this. Democrat Congressman Henry Cuellar yeah. in the Laredo area has been saying the same thing. This is yeah. Democrats in this border area are piping mad at this Think administration. Yeah, I, And they should be because they are uh, ruining the country and they are letting an illegal invasion happen. And the federal government has a solemn oath to protect that border. Let's hope that this censure of the president goes through, although it, it will be meaningless. One more story here before we get to Conan O'Brien signing off last night. Transgender runner CeCe Telfer will not be allowed to compete in the women's 400-meter hurdles at the U.S. Olympic trials in Oregon because she has not demonstrated that she meets the testosterone requirements. Now, this woman born a man is 26 years old, and she's 6 feet 2. Before transitioning, Telfer competed for the men's team at Franklin Pierce... Ranking 200 in 2016, 390th in 2017 among Division II competition. And that's when she decided to transition and become a man and then be started winning all sorts of races and beating all sorts of women uh, because uh, this person is still physically a man but was ultimately a giant failure as a male athlete, okay? Even a someone close to this person said uh, this person was uh, terrible as a male athlete and decided to suddenly transition and start destroying women in competition, which is ridiculous. And so I say, uh, no Olympics for you. No Olympics for you. This is uh, uh, some audio of Ohio Democratic lawmakers pounding on their desks and shouting over a Democrat or a Republican speaker with regard to an amendment banning transgender athletes from female sports. I want you to listen to this childish, childish and outrageous display by Democrats. The chair has the amendment. The amendment appears to be in order. The representative may proceed. Wonderful. The Save Women Sports Act is a fairness issue for women to be able to achieve their dreams and athletics in our state. Here it comes. And it's crucial to preserving women's rights and the integrity of women's and girls sports. Across our country, female athletes are currently losing scholarships, opportunities, medals, education, and training opportunities. This amendment will require... Here's the childish temper tantrum. ...require schools that are part of the OHSAA to designate separate teams for participants of the biological sex. No school inter... No school interscholastic conference or organization that regulates interscholastics shall permit biological males to participate on athletic team or an athletic competition designated only for biological female participants. Current By the way, the uh, bill passed and transgendered men will not be able to compete with women, and that's the way it should be. Conan O'Brien apparently said goodbye yesterday to his uh, to his show. He's leaving uh, TBS.
I love Conan O'Brien. I think he's a really funny man. I think he's the funniest man on late night television and has been for the last 28 years, to be quite honest. He is. He's really, really funny. Uh, towards the end, nobody was watching his show. Uh, he was on TBS. Certainly nobody was watching it live. But uh, this is the final words from him saying goodbye last night, and I thought they were noteworthy because he is historically one of the uh, one of the hosts, and they're few. They breathe rare air of late night. I am so grateful to all my staff and the fans in this country and around the world who have joined me in this really crazy and seemingly pointless pursuit uh, to do things that are kind of stupid but have something smart in there somewhere and then there's a little tiny sort of flicker of what is a kind of a magic I think that's what I believe so uh, my advice to anyone uh, watching right now and it's not easy to do it is not easy to do it's not easy to do but try try and do what you love with people you love and if you can manage that, it's the definition of heaven on earth. I swear to God, it really is. So good night. Thank you very much. I love it. I love it. And by the way, Conan O'Brien was the last of the uh, decent uh, talk show hosts at night because now they're all political tools. Pretty, pretty much, with the exception uh, occasionally of, of Jimmy Fallon. Kimmel is uh, worthless, and, uh, and uh, certainly Steve, Stephen Colbert is a political tool. Uh, but uh, God bless you, Conan. I followed your career the entire way, and I always thought you were funny. It's time for me to go, guys. Thank you to uh, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. What a blessing to have you on the air today. Thank you so much for watching. Guys, check out the TV show this weekend on Newsmax. It's called Rob Carson's What in the World. It is absolutely hilarious. Uh, it's on tomorrow night, uh, Saturday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, and on Sunday at 2 o'clock Eastern. It is political. It is funny, but it's not vitriolic like Colbert. And Kimmel. And then, of course, if you would subscribe today to Apple Podcasts, the Newsmax Daily, it would be uh, it would mean so much. And if you love the show, if you'd give a five star rating, that would be awesome as well. Have a glorious weekend with your family. God bless the police. God bless our military. Remember Ashley Babbitt. And above all people, don't catch the stupid. Thanks for listening to the Newsmax Daily with Rob Carson. Check your cable guide or NewsmaxTV.com. Or watch free on YouTube, Roku, Apple, Pluto, Zumo, Amazon Fire, and your smart TV. Newsmax, America's fastest growing cable news channel. Check NewsmaxTV.com for details.